going to be um, sharing with you about the attributes of God. And uh, we started this last month. Attribute basically means that is something that we know to be true about God. Um, whenever you talk about God, there's a lot of, I think, misconceptions or a lot of ideas that we have um, about him, whether you've been saved for five minutes or for 50 years, whether you've known Jesus or feel like you've known Jesus for a long time. The truth of the matter is that you can, that you can know a portion of Jesus. You can know uh, a certain amount of him. But um, really, more freedom comes from the, from the more fullness of him that you, that you know, the more, more of him that you see. And so the, our purpose of, of this um, session tonight is to help expand your knowledge of God. When I was 13 years old, my pastor, um, Pastor Rusty Lavender, back in Michigan, took our whole church through a, um, it was like a six-month sermon series. Uh, we were a small church, and we met, our midweek service was on Thursday nights, and so we would meet, and he had these printouts uh, for us, and we filled in the blanks and stuff, and we went through just, um, I don't know, like something like 15 um, different attributes of God, different, different things that are true about God. And, and you might say, well, you know, that, that's interesting, that's nice from an academic standpoint, but why do I really need to know um, more about God? Well, uh, A.W. Tozer said that the most important thing about you is um, what you think of when you think of God. So when you imagine God in your mind, when you think of him, or when you speak of him, or when you, when you imagine, but what, what, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Because we always become like what we worship. And so whenever, come on somebody, he, he, he caught that. We always become like what we worship. And, 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 and if what you say that you worship is God, if, God if, if Jesus is God, then your version of him or your vision of him will affect what you become like. And so we want to make sure that of all the things that we are correct on, that we are correct on our view of God. Um, in Bible college, they call this theology. Um, theos is the Greek word for God, and ology just means that you're studying something. So theology is the study of God. Now, oftentimes what, what you hear in churches um, frequently is what we would call doctrine. Doctrine is, is really what comes out of theology. So doctrine is how do we live in this life? Doctrine is things like um, some people believe that women shouldn't wear um, pants. They, sh they can only wear dresses. Nobody here seems to adopt that theology. <laughs> Sorry, that doctrine. <laughs> that's a doctrine. That's a, that, that, that's a doctrine that comes out of a theology. Um, there, there, there are other doctrines. There, there are doctrines of... Um, uh, uh, that, uh, that, uh, with regard to salvation. So um, some people say that you can lose your salvation. Some people say that you can never lose your salvation. There, there are different um, doctrines. Doctrines uh, Sunday I mentioned, and probably hardly anybody really got it, but I mentioned that I was post-trib and some people are pre-trib. And um, for those of you that have been in the church for a long time, you know that trib is short for tribulation. And post-tribulation means that I believe God's gonna rapture the church up after we've gone through the years of tribulation, and some people don't believe that. Some people believe that God's going to rapture the church up before the tribulation comes. And I, you know, those people are still my friends. Um, they have the they have the right to be wrong. Um, that's 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 up to them. Um, but doctrine is there's a lot of there can be a lot of arguments on doctrine. There can be a lot of division on doctrine, and and oftentimes you know you find a doctrine that you like and like you grab a hold of it, and that's like your doctrine, you know. 
Um, personally, I don't really want to try pushing doctrine as much because um, doctrine can be argued and debated based on you know how you see scripture and how you how you understand certain things. And I don't know that if, if you don't if you if a woman never wears pants, I don't know that that's you know the worst thing in the world. Maybe she wants to wear a skirt for the rest of her life, and that's just her deal. Or you know, but 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 when when we talk about theology, it's important that we understand about what we understand about God because that's where doctrine. Um, flows out of. And so good doctrine is always going to be able to be discernible. You're always going to be able to tell the good doctrine from the bad doctrine based on your knowledge of God. And when I was 13 years old, I got a pretty good knowledge of God, and that has helped guide me in my life. That's helped direct me in my life. Um, actually, there's a scripture that I, I quoted last, last month, which says, they that know their God will be strong and will do great exploits. Um, we're living in an age, honestly, that is, is changing rapidly. We're living in an age that, uh, in, w- in which our, our government is changing, our society is changing. And I talked about Sunday that one of our secret weapons is the Word of God or the Bible because the Bible doesn't change. And the Bible tells us who God is. The Bible tells us who God is. That's where we understand who God is. And that's the primary message of the Bible. That's why the Bible was written, so that we would know God. Not so that we could develop doctrines that we, you know, tell people that they're wrong about and we're right, but so that we would know the living and true God. And so if we never really dig into who this God is, how in the world are we ever going to know him? But whenever we know him, whenever we know him, that's how we know how to live rightly. That's how we, that's how we just, I I just instinctively know some things. And it's not because I'm brilliant. It's just because I've been trying to get to know God for the past I don't know, I was six years old, I was saved, so that's 29 years. Uh, for the past 29 years, I've been trying to get to know God well. And um, so tonight, I'm going to talk to your brains a little bit about who God is, but the purpose of that is that that can sink down into your heart, and it can be a part of your worship time. Actually, my personal prayer time um, always starts off with some kind of praise about who God is. And if I didn't have anything to draw from, if I didn't really know that, I would just kind of stare at the four walls and not really know what to pray um, because that's always how I start praying. And in fact, much of my prayers are then a reflection out of what I know to be true about God. And so I want to I I equip you and I want to I um, put some, some tools in your hand that can help you in this changing time lock on to an unchanging God and really become powerful in prayer, especially, but just in your life in general. So um, anyway, today we're going to talk about this title right here, that God is a God who feels. God has feelings. Um, uh, God has emotions. Um, So right away, uh, all the guys, don't check out on me just yet. God, God has emotions. And oftentimes, you know, we think of emotions as as kind of a, a female thing and not necessarily a guy thing. In fact, I was watching one pastor and he was talking about the guy brain and the girl brain, which I, I'll probably use some Sunday because I, I just thought it was really funny because like on one side of the stage, he had like this, this guy mannequin head. And then on that side, he had like a girl mannequin head. And, and, he, and, he, and he talked about guys. We actually talked about this in our, in our, in our marriage small group because um, one of the big things between men and women is that they don't always understand each other uh, when, they're, when they're saying words. Like they're, they're speaking... <laughs> English, but they don't, it's not English, like it's English, but it doesn't really translate. So like one of the things that we had to explain to girls um, is that guys like in, 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 inside of a guy's brain, basically there are boxes. Let's see, this, the, this was the guy's side. So over here you have, you have, you have a guy's brain and inside that brain, there are like, like, like a hundred boxes. 
And those, those boxes are um, different things. And so if he wants to think about something, he pulls out one of those boxes, right? And it doesn't touch any other boxes. Like, that's the rule. That box comes out all by, you don't take two boxes out at the same time, all right? You get one box. You take out that box and you think about what's in that box. And then when you're done thinking about that box, you put that box back away. Don't touch or disturb any other boxes, and then, you know, that's, that's kind of how guys' brains work. We, everything is really segmented, and, uh, in, in, and it, in, they each it has its own separate box. But a woman's brain is quite different. On, on a woman's side, you have, you know, basically just a big ball of um, wires that are all interconnected and intertwined. And electricity is, like, in the wires, and that's emotion. And it's like, it's like everything is connected to everything, you can't talk about the dishes without talking about, you know, the, the making of the bed. And you can't talk about the making of the bed without talking about work ethic. And you can't talk about that without talking about what time you come home from work. And so all of these things are all interconnected. And they're very connected to her, like in her brain. And so as a guy, like I had to, I had to learn that. I had to, I had to understand that. I didn't, I didn't know that right off the bat. I thought if we were talking about one thing, like we had that one box. And so we're going to deal with that one thing. But no, that's actually connected to this, which is connected to that, which is connected to this other thing over here. And then the guy, guys also have like, it's, it's, it's a box that is one of our favorite boxes. It has absolutely nothing in it. <laughs> it's literally empty. And I know women just don't believe it. What do you think about, honey? Nothing. <laughs> See, like if you ask a woman that and she says nothing, that... Is, that does not mean nothing, all right, guys? Just so you know. Nothing does not mean nothing. All you guys are dating. You're not married yet. You need to learn that nothing never means, they mean something. It means I'm not going to tell you. It means, yeah, it's usually not positive. It's not, you know, how lovely you are and what a great guy you are and how lucky she is. But no, that's not what she's thinking about. It's, it, it means that what I'm thinking about, it, you're not ready to handle right now. That's really what it, what it means. <laughs> that's what it means. But a guy literally has a nothing box. And so that's one of our favorite boxes to, to open. That's why guys can do things like fishing, you know, because it's literally just... And guys don't talk the whole, like, they're just quiet the whole time, you know? Yeah, have a great time. We'll play video games and just, and it's great. It's fun. It's bonding. We feel like we're closer together afterward. And we were totally in our nothing box the entire time. But, 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 but women have this electricity charge of emotion that really connects everything together. And the truth is that neither really women or men are, are right or wrong. They are just different aspects of God's nature. They're different aspects of who God is. Um, that's why God said whenever he made them male and female that he made them in his image. Because his complete image is male and female. His complete image is husband and wife. And so when they come together, that is God's complete image. Because you see God's, God's strong emotion and then you see God's strong logic. And so today we're talking about God's emotion. Today we're talking about the fact that God has emotions. That God has um, passionate, strong, very um, strong. And the, 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 the theological word for this is divine sensibilities. Um, so you can look that up in your dictionary if you like. Um, sensibility does not mean that he's sensible. 
It means that he has sensibility. Uh, and uh, let's see, the, 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 the definition for sensibility is the ability to be able to sense or to feel something. So, so whenever we talk about God, sometimes we, we, we just talk about him from a logical standpoint. Maybe that's just because usually guys are the preachers. Maybe that's what it is. We filter an understanding about God from that, from that sense. Um, but, but for some reason, oftentimes growing up, I had a sense of God sort of like in black and white. Like he was, he was very smart. He had a plan for my life. He was very good. He, he, but he, he, he was a thinker. He was a logical thinker. And so he was very much uh, in, you know, he, he had boxes. And whenever he was dealing with his justice box, like he was in his justice box. And whenever he was dealing with his love box, he was, he was loving us. And when he was in a mercy box, he was giving us mercy. But the truth of the matter is that all of God's um, attributes are all charged with God's emotion. And the way I like to say it is God doesn't do anything that he doesn't feel like doing. God feels like doing every single thing that he does. Now, you and I don't always feel like doing what we're doing. Like the alarm clock goes off in the morning and you wake up, not because you feel like it. Of course, my, my wife kind of does feel like it. Like if she's laying in bed for lo- too long, she's like, I, I got to get out of bed. I got to do something. I'm like, why? <laughs> the, the only re- I never feel like getting out of bed personally. I really don't. I just, there's never a day in which I think this would be a good idea to get up and get out of bed. No, if the kids, you know, there's responsibilities. There's things I have. Sometimes I got to go preach with you all on Sunday morning, but there's responsibilities that I have and that's why I get out of bed. I don't feel like it, but everything God does, he feels like doing. He always, he, he, everything that he does, his emotions are perfectly in line with that. And, and the truth of the matter is that God's given us emotions too. God's given us feelings. And, 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 and it really, it's a part of his goodness, which I think I'll touch on next month. Ro wanted me to preach on his goodness this month, but um, we went with divine sensibility because it's quirky. Um, next month, I think we're gonna talk about his goodness. And, and part of his goodness is that he shared his nature with us, with human beings, that he gave us, sensibility. He gave us emotions. Um, We could all be like Spock, right? (laughs) Remember Spock? Like no emotion at all, you know? Um, There was was a movie back in the 80s. It was kind of creepy. It was called The Stepford. Is it The Stepford Wife? They're like all robot wives. And the the really creepy thing about it was like they didn't have any emotion, you know? They were just like, "Eh, eh, 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 eh," like robots. And, but that's the way that God could have made us. God could have made us, but, but instead he infused in our DNA this little thing called emotions. And really, whether you're saved or not, whether you like Jesus or not, you get to enjoy this. Um, like, you know, like the emotion of a good song. You, you know, like when your jam comes on the radio, you know what I'm saying? Like, like when you feel, like it, it creates something inside of you. It, it, it's, it's some, for some people, it's just joy. Rose starts grooving, you know. For other people, you know, it's just like passion or depth of, 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 of fervor, you know. And oh, yeah, it's so true. And other people are crying, you know. But, but whether you're saved or not, God, God infuses the joy of music into your life. And sometimes it's just a beat. But, 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 not, but not only that, there's, there's, there's aesthetic emotions. So like sunsets and sunrises, like it produces something inside of you that you go, wow. You know, like there's, there's, there's a sense of awe 
when you see some of God's creation. And really, you, you might be saved. You might not be saved. It's not just for good people. This is for good people, bad people. I mean, Hitler, Hitler had emotions. Hitler felt, you know, the, the, the beauty of a sunset or the warmth of the sun on your face or the breeze going through your hair or the first time that you, that, that you, that, that you, that you have a, a child born. I remember when Madden was born and the midwife pulled, pulled her out and slapped her on Rose belly and was working with like placenta and stuff and just grossed out somebody. Okay, that's cool. All right. <laughs> Check that off my preaching list. Um, and uh, Madden's, Madden's laying there, you know, it's, it's her first time breathing oxygen in her lungs. And she's just kind of like, she can't, her eyes aren't even adjusted. She's just like, and so, I, so, so I, I, I lean over and I say, hey, Madden. And she hears me, she turns her head and she grabs my finger. Oh, exactly. And that, but, but, that, but, but, but that moment, that feeling, I don't even know how to describe that. But whatever that feeling was, God put that in our nature. So even you could be the worst sinner in the world, and God's going to bless you. His goodness just says, look, I'm just going to sprinkle some of that in your life. Even if you never believe in me, even if you, you, you never do what's right, I'm just going to bless you with that. I mean, it's, it's amazing that God enables us and allows us to share in his nature. Because some animals, you know, they just give birth, and it's just like you just kind of go on. You know? I mean, some spiders eat their children, I mean, for crying out loud. So obviously, it's not that emotional of a deal. But, uh, but, you know, but for us, God has infused our every day with emotion. And sometimes emotion is not good. There, there are bad emotions that we don't want to experience, stuff like fear and stuff like anxiety or uh, worry or um, uh, pain or sorrow or regret or grief. And uh, we really, you know, we, we, we try to run away from those emotions. But even those emotions, many of them are a reflection of the nature of God in our lives. And so, first of all, what I would love to do is just to decriminalize emotion. I would love just, just, to, just, just to take the, the criminal label out of emotion. That, you know, if you feel something, that doesn't mean you're an evil person. If you feel angry, that doesn't mean you're an evil person. If you, even I, you know, have been known to throw a chair or two, okay, on occasion, you know, it just, it just happens. You, you're, you're hot, you're sweaty, and sometimes, you know, you stub your toe, and, and, and you're angry, you know? And so, yeah, but this, 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 I would love to be able to take emotion and just take the morality out of it, that it's not like if you, if you feel pain, or if you feel grief, or if you feel, feel sorrow, or if you feel angry, or if you feel jealousy, that these things are not necessary evil uh, in and of themselves, that God created us to feel. And um, for so long, I, I think we've looked down on people who are high feeling. And so I'd love to just kind of decriminalize that and just kind of set you free of that uh, judgment on your life. And first of all, just talk about how God feels. First of all, um, God feels joy. And so I have a number of scriptures back there. Emilio is going to be rocking those out here in just a second. But uh, you can get ready with Deuteronomy 30, um, verse 9, if you like, Emilio. We're going to talk about God's joy. God feels joy. And, oh, it kind of takes it right off the screen there. Doesn't it? All righty. Um, this is something that, 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 that uh, Scripture is, this is the Old Testament. And this is something that, that, that I love about God. God's the same in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's not like Jesus is like Jehovah 2.0. You know, <laughs> sometimes we get that idea. It's like, well, Jehovah, he was black and white. Jesus is in color. And that's not really the case. This is the Old Testament right here. He says, the Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hand and the fruit of your body. That's, that's your kids. In the increase of your livestock, that's your possessions. And in the produce of your land, that's your business for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers. And catch this, verse 10, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. 
there's something, and, and, and that word rejoice, actually, it comes from the word to, to jump or to leap. That, that there are times that God is so excited over your obedience, he's so excited over the fact that you are following him and that you are his children, that he just, he just starts jumping, he just starts leaping. I love the fact that God has joy. In Zephaniah chapter three, verse 17 is another scripture. Uh, once again, from the Old Testament, where God talks about his joy over his people, he says, the Lord your God, he's in your midst, the mighty one will save and he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. God gets so romantic over you that he busts out in song. That's amazing to me. That's just like, that's not, that's not the stoic, black and white, you know, justice and mercy kind of God that I, I, I'm, I'm used to thinking about. I, I, I'd love it if we could, if we could picture a, a joyful God. I'd I, I love it if we could worship a joyful God. I would love it if we, could, if we could fix our eyes upon a joyful God. Every single act of obedience, every time he sees you coming closer to him, he rejoices. In fact, in 1 John, it says that I have no greater joy, and this is the Holy Spirit speaking, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. He has no greater joy than, than when we start pursuing him. And so personally, I feel like when, when we all show up at 7.30 and we start unpacking the trailer, I feel like God's joyful over that. I'm not always necessarily joyful because it's 7.30 in the morning, but I feel like God is joyful over that. I feel like God's, you know, doing a fist pump, you know, like he's, 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 he's making up songs over that. He's making up songs whenever we decide that we're going to get close to him, or we're going to read our Bible, or we're going to pray, like, 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 like he's, you know, you know, for those of you that play fantasy football, um, <laughs> Those of you cool people, there are times when you're watching a game and like you have like your star player and he catches this amazing touchdown catch or a great run or whatever. And you just kind of stand up and start doing the whole fist pump thing. Like that's to me kind of like the kind of joy that I think maybe God has, that God feels that over us whenever we are obeying him, whenever we are reaching out to him. And the truth is God's emotions aren't like the same for everybody. He, once again, he's not a robot, so he doesn't just, I'm so joyful about you, so joyful about you. So, it's not just, he doesn't just look over all the earth and just smile and nod, you know? Like that's, his, his emotions are different for each and every person because he knows exactly each and every person at their deepest, deepest level. And so, and so like, you know, like, like for me, I don't necessarily feel the joy of God when, um, when, when other people are joyful about me, if that makes sense. So our launch day was an amazing day. Our launch day was an awesome day. Launch day of City Chapel, January 25th, 254 and a half people were there. Just kidding. Uh, 254 people, were, I was throwing in preacher numbers. We upped it a bit. 254 people were there. Uh, uh, I think uh, 14 people gave their lives to Jesus on that day. Um, like it was, it was just, it was a great day. And lots of people were joyful with me, but lots of people liked me that day. <laughs> Not every day, but that day, lots of people thought I was kind of cool. And yet I didn't necessarily feel the joy of the Lord over me that day. It's not like God was mad at me or anything. It was just, it was just another day. It was great. But like, there's been a few days since then 
in which uh, there's flooding going on. I, I, the, 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 day, the, week, the weekend before the flooding, I'm driving up in this like crazy torrential rain downpour with, with the church trailer, and we're going down 35. 35 is flooding. There's like water coming up over, and I'm hitting like stuff, and it's just, and I'm like going through all this, and, and you know, I'm trying, praying that I stay alive to make it to church that morning, you know, and running really late because I had to drive really slow, and that's when I feel the joy of the Lord over me. And I just feel God smiling on me. I'm like, what are you smiling about? <laughs> you know, I'm a little sarcastic because it's like, you know, this isn't funny. This isn't a fun time. This isn't joyful. This isn't my cup of tea, really. I'd rather, you know, be in bed still. I don't really enjoy this. But, but, but I kind of felt like God almost facetiously was enjoying it you know he's like this is awesome look at harry driving down the freeway there with his truck and trailer the fact that harry's driving a truck i'm sure makes god smile in and of itself um because i've never done that and um i stopped by mark's business one time because have you seen our truck like it's like a real it's a work truck from the city of austin we uh we we went out and got it off craigslist it's got lights like on the top of it like, that's how you know it's the real deal. So the F-350, the sucker could, like, pull my house. It's, it's, it's massive. It's got all this metal stuff out the back. It beeps when you back up, okay? That's how you know. Beep, 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 beep. We're like, wow, this thing's serious, you know? We got to let the whole neighborhood know. I'm backing up, people. Look out. Like, it's massive. And so I stopped by Mark's work one time, ran in there and said, hey, is Mark here? I was just going to visit him. And no, he wasn't. And so then Mark asked me later on that day, he's like, did you stop by my work? And I'm like, yeah, how'd you know? And he's like, well, somebody said that, that this hipster guy came out of a work truck, was looking for you. <laughs> and the first of all, I'm not a hipster, okay? And I know that's exactly what a hipster would say, but I'm not a hipster, okay? I don't, I don't even own cigarettes. I don't do that. I'm not a hipster. But, you know, this is truck. And I, I, think, I think God's joyful when we're obedient, and it's hard. I think God's joyful when we're obedient and it's difficult. I think when people are slapping you on the back and high-fiving you, I think God's smirking, but I think he's downright laughing when it's difficult because it's so awesome that you are staying obedient even in the storm because it's easy, you know, when people are, oh, Harry, you're great. Oh, this is great. Wow, this is awesome. But man, it's a little more difficult when, uh, when you're driving through the storm. And, 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 and that's when God lights up. That's when God says, oh, now he's, he's not doing it for the applause. He's not doing it for the people. He's doing it for me. Like, this is awesome. And so, and so God just, just, just gets fired up over that, and that's when I feel his joy. The, the, the second emotion I want to talk about is jealousy. God is jealous, and I know we don't like to talk about that in church, but we're going to talk at Exodus chapter 34, verse 14. Um, God says of himself, now he's telling his people not to worship other gods, not to have any other gods before him. And he says, for the Lord, uh, you shall not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous. Like, he just started off like, by the way, my nickname is Jealous, okay? His name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Now, the, de the, the definition of Jealous is to fiercely be, be fiercely protective or vigilant over one's rights or possessions. I was talking to one guy one time, and he... Um, he was kind of, he said he was sort of an atheist, but he wasn't really sure. And uh, he said one of the questions that he had was, you know, hey, if, if the Bible says that we shouldn't be jealous, why then does it say that God is jealous? Like, it sounds like God's breaking his own rules, is what he said. It's always interesting to me when atheists, uh, their argument consists of scripture that they take to be true. 
always thought that was funny. It's like, oh, so you're saying scripture is actually true. <laughs> That's interesting because that provides a whole nother, you know. Anyway, so, okay, well, he, he said, you know, why, why is God breaking his own rules? Why is God jealous? And he says, nobody else could be jealous. And I said, are, are, do you really want to know or is this just an accusation? <laughs> are you really interested? He said, no, I'm really interested. I said, okay, well, let's, let's talk about that. I said, let's, let's first off just start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it just goes right on down the list. Um, birds, trees, dinosaurs, you and me. God made it all. God made all the gold. He made all the silver. He made all the hills. He made it. He, he, God made it all. Okay, and then, and then you come into the picture, and God is jealous. Why is God jealous? Because the definition of jealousy was up there. The definition of jealousy is to be fiercely protective over one's rights or possessions. So you can just go ahead and uh, leave it up there. Fiercely protective over one's rights or, or possessions. So God made it all. God owns everything. And in fact, God made you. So God owns you. And so, you know, I said, you know, okay, so God made everything. God owns everything. I said, what exactly have you made? You know, that you didn't borrow. Like, you know, you, you can't take wood and put stuff together and say you made it because God made the wood. So what did you make, ex nohelio, or that's Latin for out of nothing. What did you make that, that, you, that you made all by yourself? What, just tell me one thing. And he said, well, I haven't really, you know, created out of nothing. I haven't created anything. I said, well, no, actually, you haven't. You, you, you haven't even created your own breath. The Bible says that God gave you the breath that's in your lungs. So, so the fact that you're breathing, that's, that's borrowed. Um, God made your eye color. God made your hair color. God decided how tall you were going to be. He shaped your, your cheekbones and your eyesight. Like, like he made you. You don't even own you. That's why, that's why God can be jealous. And that's exactly why you cannot be jealous because you don't own anything. You don't own anything. So, so you can't be fiercely protective over your possession. What do you possess? What do you own? Like, like is, is there any money that you own? Because the paper came from a tree that God made. And is there any gold? Because, well, God actually put that in the hill for you to find. And then you found it. And once you die, he's going to take it back. It's going to go back into the ground. Like, anything that you think that you possess, you don't really possess. God owns it all. The very reason that God is jealous is the same reason that you cannot be jealous. Because if you're jealous, that means you have bought into the lie that you actually own something. You've, 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 you've fooled yourself into thinking that you own something. People say, oh, well, I don't need the Bible to tell me how to live. I can make up my own mind. You don't have a mind. What are you talking about? Your own mind? You, oh, did you make your mind? No. God formed that. When you were in your mother's womb, whom God also formed. And when she was in the state or the nation or the ge ge geographical location that God put her, and when she connected with the, the, the male part of you that God can, like all of that is God's. God owns it all. So you don't, you, you can't make up your own mind. I mean, if you have your own mind, then yes, you can make up your own mind. But you're living with a borrowed mind. You're living with a borrowed body. You're living with a borrowed soul even. Even your soul, your soul has been created by God. This is why God can be jealous. This is why God can say, I don't want, I, I, I don't want anybody to lay claim to what is rightfully mine. And this is, by the way, this is a secret to prayer. Secret to prayer is to feel the same emotion that God feels for himself, to be jealous for what is rightfully God's. That's the secret to prayer. Moses, Moses is a great prayer warrior. 
And, and Moses was at a point in time in history in which God had decided, he's like, all right, Moses. He's, first of all, he says, get out of the way. I'm going to destroy these people. And I always found that funny. Like, he tells Moses to get out of the way. How tall was Moses exactly? <laughs> Is he really in the way? I mean, couldn't God just kind of like, <laughs> and then destroy the people? No, he's not talking about, like, get out of my way physically. He's talking about stop asking me to stop doing what I'm wanting to do. And so he says, Moses, just, just, just stop with that. I'm going to kill all these people, and I'm going to make a great nation out of you. This is a good deal for Moses. <laughs> he doesn't have to put up with all those brats anymore. And he gets to be the one to procreate. The, all, I mean, it'll, it, the, the Jewish people will no longer be the Israelis. They will now be the Mosesites. You know, that's what they would be. This is big for his fame. This is big for his, his name. This is big for him going down in the history books as, as I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. It's huge. But Moses feels what God feels about himself. And Moses says, but wait a minute, God, if, if you do that, I know they work out really good for me. But if you do that, then the nations all around will say that you brought your people out and you couldn't even protect your people. And what will that be to your name? The Bible says that, God, that Moses was jealous for the name of God. He wasn't jealous for his own glory. He was jealous for the name of God. And so something rose up inside of him that said, this would really work out good for me, but this is not going to work out good for you. And I can't live with that. That's the secret to prayer, to understand what God possesses, to understand what's rightfully his. When I pray over Austin, I don't pray that God would bring people who belong to the devil <laughs> and bring them into the light because nobody belongs to the devil. The devil didn't create anything. In fact, the devil didn't even belong to the devil. <laughs> God created the devil. So when I pray for the souls in Austin, I don't pray, God, please just, just pull them out of the, the ownership of the devil. No, no, no. I pray, God, you deserve these. Every single soul, every worship from every single person rightfully belongs to you. I'm not asking you to break in and, and rob from the, you know, take back to what he stole from me. I'm not asking you to do that. All the Christians from the 80s just got that. And the rest of you, you're, you're lucky. You're better off for it. Because it's not about, like, like the, the devil can't steal anything. He can't, he doesn't own anything. God owns it all. God rightfully deserves the worship of every single voice and every single vocal cord. All rightfully ought to be worshiping him. That's what, I, that, that, that's what I stand on. That's where I stand from. When I pray for healing, I don't just ask God that, well, God, I'd really love for you to heal this person. But, but rather, I look at the blood of Jesus Christ and the stripes that was on his back. He rightfully deserves to be known as a healer in our day, in our time. Time, he ought to be known. People ought to know that he's a healer. He deserves that. I mean, his name, like, you know, so, so whenever you start feeling jealousy for God, that's a good thing. Whenever you get a little angry, whenever people take what is rightfully God's and try to make it their own or try to make it someone else's, you ought to feel a little bit of angst and a little bit of, you know, anger every now and then. I think Christians are licensed to, to feel that for God. And I think if you don't, you should probably check your pulse and, you know, see if you're alive. <laughs> Finally, uh, God feels anger. Romans 2, uh, verse 5 through 6 explains this pretty well in, in really a scary passage of Scripture. Um, it says that, and this is talking to, to, to the ones who, who are rebelling against God. It says, Be, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, what you're really doing is you're storing up wrath. That's called anger. 
You're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. He's talking about the fact that even though you don't see God's judgment right now, it doesn't mean that God's judgment isn't coming. It's just his justice is being withheld right now. It's not executed immediately in order to give you a space of time to repent. But he says the longer you don't repent, the more angry, (laughs) righteously angry, God is getting. And when he judges, and this is something that is is not very PC, um, which is why I'm telling you guys on First Wednesday Worship. Uh, when, 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 When God judges, he feels like judging. You ever think about that? When he, when he judges, he doesn't do it like, oh man, the rules say I gotta do this. I was looking at, uh, I was doing Bible stories with, with, with our kids recently and um, we had got a Bible from Miss Diana um, in the City Chapel garage sale. Um, it was an old school, like one of those Catholic Bibles that have those cool old paintings in it. And I found it. And I'm like, I don't know who this is, but I'm going to buy this for 25 cents. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, and because, because, because I just love those old paintings. I mean, they're, they're a little cheesy. Jesus has a you know, thing around his head and stuff. And, and Madden's like, why does he have that on his head? And I said, well, he didn't really. It just, it was, just, you know, so you know which one is Jesus. That's what it's about, as is what I tell them. And so, you know, but I just, I just love those old paintings because it's just, they're, they're just so expressive and they're so non-PC. And so there's one where, where Jesus, he's got the halo and he's, he's, he's in the temple and, 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 and people are scurrying. Like one guy is like, oh. And this other guy, and he's got another guy by like the shirt collar. It's not really a shirt, the dress collar. And he's like, his fist is like ready to just deck him. Like, you know, and Jesus is like, he, he, like, he, like, he looks ticked. He looks just downright, he's over it. And, and, and meanwhile, he's got this whip, you know. He's just about to like butt this guy in the head with the end of his whip. And Matt and Mike are like, what's going on there? <laughs> I'm like, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, kids. Um... I said, well, Jesus is angry. He's mad. Why is he mad? Well, Scripture says that jealousy for, the Lord, for his father's house consumed him. That it was so wrong what they were doing. That he made a whip. He didn't, he didn't even go buy one. Like He made it personally. He spent hours putting this thing together. The son of God, right? He's only on the earth for 33 years. And he took you know, multiple hours to make a whip. I mean, couldn't he have gone and healed people in that time or saved people? Or weren't there like adulterers that he could have, you know, rescued and pardoned and all that kind of No, he makes a whip, a weapon. And then he takes that sucker and goes into church and starts beating people up with it. Like, that's not PC. If Jesus were to live in our day and he were to walk into some church and start, you know, punching the guys at the info table, we would, we would, we would escort him out with security, right? Like, this is not what I think of when I think of God, but that's why I love those old photos because it's just like, man, this is awesome. And so, and so it gave me a chance to talk about the fact that God gets angry when people, when people intentionally, purposefully rebel against him. He just gets angry. And those guys left with bloody noses and turned over tables and their money was all over the place and people were probably picking it up and stealing it and running away. And, and he didn't really seem to give a rip. He's like, my house will be called a house of prayer. It's that jealousy, it's that anger that he feels. And so if you feel angry sometimes, you know, you should definitely check yourself as to why you feel angry. If it's because you feel that something you own has been 
um, trampled on, then you should probably look into that because you don't really own anything. But if it's because something that God owns is being accredited to somebody else or something else, then I think, I think that's okay. And really, you should use that as fuel for prayer. Don't go punch people and knock them out because you're not Jesus. Um, <laughs> that's exactly what I told my kids. Because <laughs> that's what Madden said. She's like, she's like, does he not love them? And I said, well, babe, when dad gives you a spanking, does dad still love you? And she said, yeah. I said, okay. For those of you that don't believe in spankings, <laughs> that's why I like to hang out with my kids. Well, anyway, no, just kidding. We'll just keep on going. <laughs> Because I tell them to stop and they stop. Um, now, God also feels grief. God also feels grief. He feels, he feels sorrow. He feels it. I mean, he showed that in, uh, in the famous passage, the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept, obviously. But this is, uh, uh, there, we have a passage here from Genesis chapter 6 where God shows grief. And this is a, a deep grief. The Lord saw the wickedness of man. It was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man. That means sorrowful. It doesn't mean regretful. God doesn't regret anything he does because everything he does is good. But he was, he was sorrowful. He went back to the fact that he had made man, and that brought him sorrow. And he was grieved in his heart. He feels grief. He feels it. He feels, feels grief, not just at sin and, bless you, not just at sin and wickedness, but also when, when you feel grief, when I feel grief, when his children feel grief. In fact, it, it says that uh, uh, precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. We were at a funeral this past week of a, of a saint of God. And it was, um, it was great to know where, where Noel is. He's in, he's in heaven. That's wonderful. He's not suffering anymore. But it's still hard to know what his family is facing. You know, losing a great father, losing a great husband. And God, God feels that. It's, it's precious, which means it's, it's, it's fragile. <laughs> it's a fragile thing in God's sight. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, such a delicate thing. Finally, God feels love. John 3, 16, of course, shows us that. For God so loved the world. And I love that word, so. For God so loved the world. It's, it's, it, it's almost as if Scripture wasn't content saying, God loved the world and this is what he did. But Scripture says God so loved. In other words, the amount of his, the depth of his love was so great that he gave his only son. And he didn't just give his only son because that was the best thing to do or because it made the most sense. It wasn't, it wasn't just an intellectual decision. He felt like giving his son. That's crazy. Who feels like giving up? But he felt like it was so great for him that he felt like giving his son. He felt like coming and dying in our place. He, he, he felt that. He felt like doing it. He didn't do it because he had to. He didn't do it, do it because, well, somebody's got to save him. He did it because he felt like doing it. He came down to our level because he felt it. Finally, he feels, uh, the last one is, is compassion. God feels compassion uh, for us. And uh, Psalm 86, verse 15, talks about God's, God's compassion uh, <laughs> I think it does. Uh, maybe I didn't give you that scripture. 
It says the Lord is full of compassion. Yeah, he's full of it. He's full of compassion. Gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and truth. Go ahead and go into that, go into that, that next slide that you just had, that, uh, the Hebrews chapter 11. And so really the question is, what do we do with all this knowledge? What do we do with this information of how God feels? Well, the thing that I would say is, let's figure out what, 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 God, what makes God feel good. <laughs> and it's faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Verse 2 says, For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Uh, verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But without faith it is impossible to please to please, that's pleasure, that's feeling, that's emotion. So what that means is when you and I have faith, we can please God, we can bring him pleasure. And I was gonna talk about Abraham, but it's getting a little late. We're gonna go into a time of prayer, but, but I just wanna encourage you that you can please, you can bring God pleasure. And in fact, I think we would all be a lot better off if instead of asking the question, what is God's will for me right now? Usually what we mean, mean by that is what kind of decision should I make? Should I work here or work there? Should I move there or move here? Or, sh you know, should I marry him or marry him? And those are sort of the big decisions that we're like, well, what is God's will? And we, we act like we're seeking it, you know. We, we pray really hard about it and we read Bible about it. And we, it's almost like we're seeking like his will. It's like a lost key. I tend to lose my keys periodically, so I know exactly how this feels. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're reaching down in between the couch cushions and the back end and asking the kids if where they've seen it and checking your pants pockets from yesterday. And, um, you know, you're looking for God's will. You're looking because, because you think it's a key that will sort of unlock the right thing to do, which is the best thing for you. And oftentimes our, our, our goal of finding God's will is because we believe that it will bring us the most pleasure. Right? It'll be the best way for us. If we just find God's will, it'll bring us the most pleasure. And I, and I, would, I would just challenge you to sort of flip that around, <laughs> to just, just take that level of thinking and just completely invert it. First, just find out what would give God the most pleasure and then like make that something that you want to do. <laughs> like align your will with what would give God the most pleasure in your life. And so many of the decisions that we just stress out about aren't even really decisions. Like what job you take, you know, which would give God the most pleasure? For you to work here or for you to work there? Uh, what, 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 what person you marry? Well, what, well, which one would give God the most pleasure? For you to be married to this person or be married to that person? Should I date or should I not date? What would give God the most pleasure? In fact, the person you are dating or the person you are married to or the kind of husband or wife that you you are is that giving God pleasure like are you giving God pleasure if you're if you're a if you're a, a, a pleasure if you're a pleasurer of God I guarantee you're gonna find the will of God and everyone else is gonna be like wow how did you know to, how to do that you know so I, I I didn't I just knew that's what God wanted I knew that that's what pleased God in the moment. I, I just, that, that's what pleased him in my life. I couldn't do anything else but that because nothing else pleased him. Nothing else, he wasn't, you know, excited about anything else. He wasn't thrilled about anything else. He was only thrilled about 
this. And, and so often it's just little things. It's not the big things. It's not the particular college that you went to. It's, it's the time you spent reading your Bible at whatever the heck college you went to. <laughs> it's the amount of devotion that you spent in those moments. It's the stuff that people didn't see that pleases God. It's the stuff that people didn't marvel at that, that really gives God the most pleasure. And that's why I say that when, I'm, when, when, when people are high-fiving me, I don't really feel the pleasure of God as much. But when, when, I'm, when, when, when I'm alone and when it's difficult and when it's stormy and when, it, when stuff's difficult, that's when I feel like God's like, yeah, you're doing exactly what I want you to do. Because, because God knows that, that what I want is to please him. Like, that's it. And then anything else over that... Um, you know, uh, what kind of house we live in. Uh, sometimes I feel almost like God asks me, you know, would you like to drive that kind of car? Would you like to do this? Would you like to do that? And, and I don't really know. I don't, I don't really, I don't, I don't know. I, 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 I just want to do what, what pleases him in the moment. And so, yeah, if, if you would like me to drive that car, that'd be sweet. If you'd like me to live in that house, that'd be great. But most of all, I just want to be a person <laughs> who pleases you. And then we'll talk about all that other stuff later. And um, it's amazing to me that this is the way that God set up his relationship with us. I was talking to somebody um, just, uh, just a little while ago, and um, they're doing stuff that they know is not right. And so I don't know why they want to talk to me, but <laughs> I just, just they, I don't know. They just want to talk to me. So and so, you know, this person says, yeah, I know church, you know, is, is overrated. I don't really need to be a part of church either. Like there was this other stuff that this person was doing, but then also church. I don't really need to be a part of that because, you know, it's overrated. I still have my relationship with God, though. I said, okay, well, um, that's great. You're praying every day? Yeah, yeah, I'm praying every day. I said, oh, reading your Bible? Reading my Bible. I said, okay, well, you know, when you pray, like, what does God say about this situation right here that, that we were spending the whole time talking about because it was the, the central theme. And he, he almost laughed sarcastically. He said, well, I don't talk to God about that. And I said, well, that's good because we wouldn't want him to find out about it. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> wow, me. My lips are sealed. I'm not gonna be used hey. Glory to God. You know, I, I said, well, I, I think he knows. <laughs> But it's almost like the person's relationship with God was great as long as he didn't really think about this other thing that was really hurting God. Because if you really have this great relationship with God, why are you doing the stuff that you know causes him pain? Why are you doing the stuff that you know causes him anger? I mean, you know, the kind of stuff that he took out people in the, in the, in the, in the, in the church for. Like, why, why are you doing the stuff that you know is against him? If, 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 if you really do have this great relationship, and, 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 and I think we can, we can fool ourselves into, into doing the compartmentalizing thing, you know, where we have a box, and we have a God box, and then we have a, a sex life box, and then we have a, a thought life box, and then we have a public box, and then we have a business box and a family box, and we, we just keep God in his God box, and oh yeah, our relationship with God's great in the God box, <laughs> but, but what if God's a little more like the woman's brain? Everything's connected. <laughs> everything is connected and your sex life is connected to your family life and it is connected to your workplace and it is connected to your relationship with God because God is an emotional being and he feels and he feels pain 
when we do things that hurt him and he feels joy when we do things that excite him. And that's where religion and Christianity is not about this, this, this rule book. Don't do this, do this, don't do that, do that. Really, if you just get to know God and you just do what pleases him, Nobody, we can throw out the rules, just completely. Just you don't, you, you don't need to ask your pastor. Well, is this okay? Is that okay? You don't need to ask. You, you just, it's, it's okay with him. It's pleasing to him. And then you read in the Bible, and you're like, oh yeah, this guy pleased God when he did that. That guy pleased God. And so let's live a life that pleases him. And let's just get rid of everything that doesn't. Let's just, let's just get rid of everything that that he hates. Let's, let's do everything he loves. Let's be everything that he loves.